and welcome to the Time for the Good News podcast, the place where you'll hear nothing but good news. We are your hosts, Susan and Dan Grantfield. So welcome to episode five. This is our first episode of 2021 and we're really looking forward to sharing more good news stories with you throughout this year. And it seems that we need them more than ever. I mean, here in the UK, we're back effectively in lockdown again. And we're seeing what's going on um, in the US, which is just like scenes out of a movie. So we want to offer an oasis of calm, a spark of hope and an injection of joy through our Good News podcast. So, Dan, do you want to just give people a heads up as to what they can expect in this episode? In this episode, we've got stories about people overcoming significant challenges to achieve their dream. Hmm. An advancement in the battle against the scourge that is plastic. Amazing things people did for others at Christmas. Mm -hmm. Three farmers who were encouraging nature to be natural again. It's a rewilding story. Nice. The story of a lonely elephant, which has a good ending. It's a happy ending, yes. So that's what's um, coming up in this episode. And just before we get started, I just wanted to um, remind people that we really, really want you to contribute your stories. I was talking to a friend who has been wonderful at sending me lots of links of great good news stories that uh, she's come across. Thank you, Stella. And um, she was saying, oh, I don't want you to just only be getting my perception of good news. And actually, it made me think about if if Dan and I don't get other people's ideas of good news, then all you're going to get is our views of good news. So please, please um, share with us on Facebook, Susan and Dan's podcast, um, or you can email us, susan at susangranfield.com or dan at dangranfield, uh, dangranfield at gmail.com. Yeah, if you get any stories you want to share with us. Um, So just want to put that out there. So let's get started and I'm going to kick off with a couple of Christmas inspired stories. Now it's fair to say Christmas was a little bit different this very year, different, very yeah. different and actually I think in, uh, for us we had plan A, B, C, D, I'm not sure what plan we ended up with but uh, our, our plans plan changed. F1. Yes, <laughs> our plans changed a lot and you know most people didn't get to do what they would really have liked to have done but there are still amazing stories of what people did Um, for each other at Christmas and one I particularly liked was um, unexpected gifts from Santa um, around a town in uh, Edmonton in Canada. So 400 families woke up to an envelope on their doorstep at some point over the Christmas period and inside the envelope was a $250 gift card and a poem. Now, nobody knows exactly who, which Santa it was that left the gifts because Santa wanted to remain anonymous. But there was an email address on the note. And um, when I think it was CBC or one of the news stations contacted uh, via the email uh, the person, the anonymous person, the anonymous Santa. And what he said was, I decided to do it because I know that lots of people have had a really tough year and um, I had the means to help out. And I hope that the gifts gave people a sense that the world is good and there's a brighter future not far ahead. I just just love that. So not virtue signalling as well. So not, you know, not doing it for anything else other than other people. Exactly. Not identifying themselves, not looking for any accolade, Mm -hmm. just doing it for the people. Yeah, yeah. And and something else that that this anonymous, wonderful person did was in their note, um, he said, if you don't, need the the gift card if you don't need this little bonus of money pass it on to somebody who does and quite a few people have done that and I just love that sense of um 
you know, paying it forward. Paying it forward, yeah, the old paying it forward. Yeah, yeah. and there's 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 a lot of uh, it's well known now that when we when we do something for someone else, we both benefit. The mm. giver benefits, mm. the receiver benefits. Yeah, yeah. So just lovely. Creating a chain of joy or a chain of you know yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. And the second story um, comes from Holland. So the, a postman in Amsterdam called, actually I'm not going to say his name, I'll put the link on Facebook because I don't want to get it wrong. Looks like um, Narula. Narula, yeah? yeah. Okay, cool. That's that's who it is. Um, he, like many post people across the world, worked really, really hard in the run up to, to Christmas because obviously we were buying things online more than we've ever done before and having to post things and then when things changed, we had to do that, didn't we? We had to package all our gifts up and send them to our families. And when our, our postman, Jamie, showed us a picture of the back of his van, we could see <laughs> how many parcels he was delivering and how many he'd picked up to be posted. And his furrowed brow. And his furrowed brow, yes, bless him. So we have a sense of how busy Narula must have been. Now, he worked lots of extra hours to make sure that um, people got their Christmas gifts in time for the big day. And as a show of gratitude, 400 of the, the people in his area clubbed together to give him a Christmas bonus. And that bonus totaled over €4,000. Fantastic. Which is amazing. So, you know, hard cash they gave him, but they also gave him it along with a package of chocolates and Christmas cookies. And as one resident gave it to him, gave the package to him, everyone else was standing um, outside clapping for him. Getting get himself some brilliant footwear. Which I, imagine, I imagine postmen go through a lot of. Yeah. Good point. Very practical. Yeah. Very yeah. practical. Unless in, in, in Holland he might be on a bike. Yes. So maybe able to get himself a super duper carbon be. fiber racing posty bike. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Or something else. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it just both of those stories I re- I really love, and I'm sure many of our listeners will have examples of great things people did for each other over Christmas. So please share your uh, your stories with us. So, leaving Christmas behind for now, Dan, over to you with your first story. So, this is a science uh, story, everywhere, mm-hmm. yeah, boo, science, but this is this is a good one. Mm-hmm. We all know about the scourge of plastic, single-use plastics, things like that, clogging up the oceans, clogging up rivers, um, things like that. Scientists have engineered a plastic-eating enzyme, mm-hmm. or a super enzyme, it's called, that can break down plastic bottles in days. Um, I think it's amazing. I think we've talked about mutant enzymes. Yeah, this we did. a super enzyme. I don't ah. know if there's a relationship between the <laughs> two. So this came from researchers at the Centre for Enzyme Innovation in the UK. Who knew that existed? Mm. And the National Renewable Energy Laboratory in Colorado. So some energy boffins and some enzyme. I don't know what you call an enzyme boffin. Uh, some oh. kind of science biologist, I don't know. Mm. Um, the enzymes break down a certain type of plastic called polyethylene terephthalate or PET mm-hmm. you might notice on some packaging it says PET free oh, which means okay. that it can be recycled so stuff that has PET ah, in it can't, can't be recycled be, right. and it's used in single use bottles clothing and carpets strangely right. um, a, so PET is in its chemical building blocks basically so this enzyme put, um, specifically attacks PET and eats the PET. Mm-hmm. It doesn't eat the plastic. It eats the PET, PET so the plastic can then be recycled. Oh, I see. So it right. makes unrecyclable plastic recyclable. recyclable. Right. Yeah. So at scale, these enzymes can cut into a staggering 300 million tonnes of new plastic that is created every year. 
um, allowing manufacturers to reuse reuse those same plastics over and over again. Mm. So therefore, not creating even more ah. plastic, and it not just getting thrown away because right. um, it's you know not recyclable. This also helps reduce fossil fuels mm. because a lot of fossil fuels used in the production of plastic. plastic. Also, as a as a as a side to this story, China, the Chinese government, um, who we've reported on positively before about pangolins, mm-hmm. for instance, have banned the use of single-use straws and single-use uh, carrier bags. Uh-huh. Now, if we think about the population of China yeah. in the billions, yeah. that's a massive step forward. Yeah. And their straws are not the straws that we know. They're big, thick mm-hmm. straws that they use to drink bubble tea. Oh, okay. Because um, the molecules of bubble tea have to be intact and can't be sucked for a small, small straw. Mm. Some some kind of chemistry type uh, thing that I'm not telling. Uh, but I like the the um, the idea that China, at the same time as this um, thing, have, have made those changes. Mm-hmm. But also scientists over here have also come up with this way of turning PET mm-hmm. into recyclable plastic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we've David yeah. Attenborough has highlighted plastic in the oceans, plastic pollution mm-hmm. everywhere. Some developing countries have been blighted by our plastic yeah. being moved over there. Yeah. Um, so anything that deals with plastic for me is good news. Yeah, and so those two stories, one is 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 reducing the amount of plastic we use and one is then yeah. recycling, recycling and making yeah. useful yeah. again the plastic we do use. Yeah. So great. Fantastic. Lovely. Yeah. Thank you. So um, I've got two human interest stories. These seem to be the ones I tend to gravitate towards. And these two stories are, um, they highlight the infinite potential in human beings. And what I mean by that is that when someone says something can't be done or things don't work like that, human beings have the capacity to prove them wrong. So my first story is um, of a woman who published her first novel at the age of 97. So anyone who's thinking I'm too old to do whatever, Tony Ritchie of Huntley in Aberdeenshire, she actually lives in England now, but she's originally from Aberdeenshire. She has proved that just because you're, you know, in your 99th um, decade, you can still be a a debut novelist. So she published Spur of Light um, last year, at the end of last year. And the fact it's been described as her debut novel implies perhaps she's got another one in her. Um, she, it's interesting, she went on a creative writing course on Iona in the Inner Hebrides in 2002 and, and started writing the book then, but she didn't complete it and it wasn't until her eldest daughter finally convinced her to get back to it that she finally wrote it. And she said it seemed like an impossible task that would never happen, but she's always enjoyed writing and felt it was a part of her. Now, how many of us have got something in us that we've always felt drawn to, but we've not taken action on it? And she says it's never too late to start doing something, whatever it is, and people should never give up just because they think they would never be able to do it. So I think it's a great piece of advice. She's, she's not someone who's going to be looking back with regret because she's it's, achieved that. You know, it's going to be, yeah. you know, probably make uh, yeah. the late years of her life the best, uh, yeah. the best experience. And, and, and we were talking earlier saying often we think we have to, you know, the best years of our lives or the years in the you know, middle years of our lives yeah, or whatever yeah. it is. And we have to achieve things by a certain age. But hey, she's 97 and she's written her first novel. Brilliant. I'll be happy if I can speak. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the second story is about a childhood dream that came true. So from picking fruit and veg in the fields of Mexico at the age of nine to becoming an astronaut, um, Jose Hernandez has proved that it's OK to dream big. Um, because dreams do come true. At the age of 10, he told his dad he wanted to be an astronaut, 
But at that point, his family were moving around a lot and he didn't really have a steady education, so didn't really seem viable. But he was determined, he persevered, he gained a master's degree and he applied to NASA. Now, he was rejected 11 times from NASA to join their programme. But he didn't lose faith, didn't lose sight of his dream. And on the 12th application, he was accepted. And then in 2009, he blasted off with the crew of of the Space Shuttle Discovery and spent two weeks working on the International Space Station. I think that's just amazing. And he's gone on to um, run a foundation, set up a foundation called Reaching for the Stars, which aims to teach kids how to achieve their own dreams. Amazing. Stuff. You know, and I love that when people have been through their own journey and then they go on to share their learning yeah. from that with others. It's also a childhood dream to be yeah. an astronaut. You know, how many people have had that? Uh, yeah. And he's actually achieved it, even though he had so many knockbacks a lot along the way. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, astronauts are effectively boffins in the sky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, they have to be superhumans, mm. like fast jet pilots, mm. don't they? So, yeah. amazing yeah. stuff. And Netflix are making a film about his life and his journey into space this year. So, so it leaves me the question to, to ask you, our listeners, what are your dreams? What have you lost touch with? You know, where have you lost touch with your dreams and could you rekindle them? Mm-hmm. So we'll leave that with people. Good stuff. Yeah, good question. Right, over to you, Dan. So, back to the UK. So, three farmers in East Anglia have started on their plan to rewild a quarter of a million hectares of farmland over the next five years. Mm. So East Anglia, just for reference, is one of the most intensely farmed areas of the UK, especially for arable farming. Oh, okay. Um, their charity is called Wild East and was uh, started by three farmers, Argus Hardy, Hugh Summer-Layton and Ollie Birkbeck. Their aim is to dedicate this quarter of a million hectares to wildlife, as well as working with schools to enhance children's knowledge of farming and wildlife mm. and create an accreditation scheme to boost wildlife-friendly farms. Oh, brilliant. Fantastic idea. Mm. So I think it was uh, Hugh Summer-Layton's quote was, we want to wake up to regional collective consciousness. Mm. If we're prepared to, to rewild 20% of our backyards, um, we will, we, you know, we're not going to receive a grant from the government. We're not going to wait for that. We're just mm. going to get on with it. Brilliant. And that's great. Yeah. So they've already gained support across the region from farmers, t- um, teachers, conservation projects, industrial estate owners, and Summer himself has already created a 400-acre enclosure of um, pasture that he's put over to rewilding. He's got mm-hmm. large black pigs, whatever they are, mm. uh, roaming around. Um, uh, you know, their, their actual future plan also involves um, links. You know, there's a lot of talk about links being brought back into Scotland oh, as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Link pelicans. Oh, they particularly mentioned pelicans, which I thought, I thought odd. I didn't realise pelicans were, unless it was a was typo it? in the article that I was yeah. reading. But pelicans, yeah, beavers, and we know beavers. Oh, yeah. We mm-hmm. talked about beavers a lot. They, you know, they do nothing but uh, contribute towards, um, you know, the environment and mm-hmm. ecology. So farmers, they get good press and they get bad press, don't they? Mm. Um, especially large industrial size farms it's like you get in East Anglia that grow large amounts of arable crops mm. you know wheat rape etc etc so it's great that these three guys are leading this project and they're farmers themselves mm-hmm. it's not a scientist preaching to the farmers it's the farmers themselves saying we need to do something about mm. this yeah and we want to for the health of the land we want to make um, yeah. you know the environment better yeah it's a great story I didn't I've not heard anything about it I just no. came across it yeah um 
you know, and another another thing on that on that vein is planting. So this is just a short one, very mm-hmm. short one. So in 2020, there are a million um, sea green seeds planted in our coastal waters. And you go, what, what's, what's that? Mm-hmm. It's a flowering plant that absorbs carbon. Right. And it absorbs carbon 35 times more faster than the Amazon rainforest. It's a marine plant, sorry. Ah, okay. Um, so it's just another little example mm-hmm. of these slight adjustments yeah. to, the, to our landscape helps yeah. us combat the damage we've done. Yes, and using nature to help us. Absolutely. Not, not yeah. man-made creating things, yes. but allowing nature to do yeah, it for yeah, us. Yeah, Brilliant, yeah. brilliant. So, yeah. Cool. Good stuff from the farmers in East Anglia. Go the farmers, brilliant. Right, our final story is about um, Kavan, the Asian elephant. So this is um, in so in, in Pakistan. He was the only elephant in a, a zoo in Pakistan, and he'd been on his own in an enclosure um, for eight years. Now I didn't realize. I thought elephants were actually quite male elephants were quite solitary, but but they're not. They actually um, need to socialize, um, and social interaction is really important for elephants. Um, and uh, there was an article in National Geographic that, that said that social and family interaction are more beneficial for elephants than enclosure size. So psychological space mm. is more important than physical space. Not saying that physical space isn't important. They're intelligent animals, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And and so contact, physical, tactile contact with, with each other is really important. So Kavan was there eight years on his own when his partner um, died. Um he has now been moved to a sanctuary in Cambodia um, and there's a beautiful picture that I'm going to put on Facebook of his trunk coming out and touching the trunk of another elephant. So he immediately made contact when, nice. when he arrived there. Um, and yeah, so that's just lovely. So the, the headline was, The Loneliest Elephant Makes a Friend. So we had to go all the way from Pakistan to, to Cambodia. Cambodia to, yeah, to yeah. Amazing. So he's going through a kind of acclimatisation at the moment. Right. Maybe that's not the right word, but um, he will eventually have several hectares of land that mm. he can roam around in, and he's going to have three female elephants to live with. Happy mm. days. Well, look at that. Crikey. Kavan's suddenly got a harem. Yeah, yeah. yeah good look at him. So. Is, is he retiring? Is he, you know, it's a nice retirement. It is indeed. Um, but yeah. uh, how did they get him there? I'd love to well, have seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's a big story. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. So there we go. Oh, a happy ending. Um, good stuff. So hopefully you've enjoyed our good news stories this uh, this episode. Um, my particular favourite was the one about the 97-year-old writing her first novel. What was your favourite, Dan? I think it's The Farmers. Yeah. I think it's Farmers taking action and rewilding the UK. Mm. You know, it's close to home. It's, uh, it's an amazing thing to get more um, natural ecosystems and wildlife back into this yeah. small island. Yeah, brilliant. So we will bring you more good news stories in the next few um, weeks. But please, please get in touch with us with your good news stories. We really want to hear about the good news that's happening locally in your area or something you come across. Um, And yeah, get in touch on Facebook, Susan and Dan's podcast. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.